0: Welcome to the discussion, Deepening Relationships, How Agencies Are Delivering on CEX, sponsored by Granicus. Here's today's moderator, Drew Friedman. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. My guest today is Bob Ainsbury, the Chief Product Officer at Granicus. Bob, thanks so much for being here.
1: Happy to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: So, Bob, I want to talk today about customer experience with you. We know that federal services and experiences can be complex to navigate. Sometimes you face challenges and delays, things of that nature. So from your perspective, what do you see as solutions for agencies to try to alleviate some of those burdens or challenges and try to better facilitate interactions with the public?
1: Complex is the key word there. It sure can be complex. Um, I think you solve complex problems iteratively. Bear in mind that I'm an engineer behind the scenes, so that's gonna come through in a couple of my responses here to the questions. You know, many federal agencies I think are inclined to solve large problems with large solutions. Think bigger is something I hear quite often. It's a common refrain. Now it's true, especially when the, the solutions are influenced by big integrators, this kind of this ecosystem that wants you to do these very large things, but that isn't well suited to complexity. I think the approach that we should take or the right approach is agility. And there's a couple of reasons I, I, I feel that way, to be honest with you. Change is hard. It's not only hard for the agencies and the audience listening today, but it's hard for the citizens. So a massive shift from the old way to the new way is likely to cause confusion and dysfunction and takes a long time. So imagine if banks, for example, one day change their approach after 10 years, you know, suddenly everyone was told, don't come to the bank, pay at the grocery with your watch, or and we're not gonna mail statements back to you. All those things can be very disruptive. Incremental changes allow you to have faster impact and lets people embrace the changes. So that's the first one. And the second factor where agility pays off, I think, is that agencies should jump approach of frequently releasing incremental things. The technology itself is rapidly changing and adapting. Think about two years ago, there wasn't AI and ML. We might have got SMS messages that are interactive that you can respond to, you know, telling you the package is on the door, it's on the way. So if you start with this very large monolithic approach to complexity, you'll miss the point. So incremental changes not allowing you to embrace the kind of technologies, uh, when they come available, it allows you to move the citizens through. So complexity equals agility. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, with this idea of agility and and trying to maintain that, um, agencies aren't always necessarily known for their ability to be agile. So what would be some of your recommendations to agencies who are trying to, to stay abreast of that?
1: Yeah, it's. We all want a vision, right? We want to motivate. And, and sometimes these programs have very large and lofty visions. And those are great. I don't want to dispel those. We we want to imagine an environment where every citizen, no matter their level of education or technology adoption, gets equitable service, for example. It's a great vision. And so please keep with the visions, but then think of small incremental things that can do. A singular project that can achieve something. So distilling it down to a small definable thing that you can get funding if it's needed, or hopefully even bypass the need for funding and do it in a small way. So if you, and the art is, how do you take this large machinery of whatever it might be and do individual things? It's something that we've had to do as technologists over the last 10 years, where we as technologists building these solutions have to do them in pieces and get them released. So it's literally, how do you make this a small, meaningful thing? One improvement, let's say, just adopt two-way SMS as an example.
0: I like your, you know, the the idea of distilling down or kind of taking something larger and scaling it yep. down a little bit here. And, you know, that kind of reminds me as well of, of this idea of individualizing or personalizing outreach in, uh, in how agencies handle c- customers' experience. You know, a lot of times, a lot of these things can happen with widespread messaging uh, about services and things of that nature. But for you or in in your opinion, how does a more individualized approach to outreach with customers uh, encourage or change how engaged users are on on the tail end of things?
1: Super question. So personalization works, right? It's, It's how Netflix suggests the shows I should watch or how Amazon suggests the books I should buy. And no doubt the ones it recommends to me are different than the ones it recommends to you. And that's because personalization works. Things that are relevant to someone who's a parent are very different to things that might be presented to a pensioner, for example. So personalization works in the context of outreach. I, I think it's, it simply makes communications relevant, and it allows you to send a different message to a different audience. You know, I might get a, a, a communication from, from, let's say, J. Crew about chinos and you might get a communication about purses. You might be interested in chinos and I might be interested in in purses, but there was an attempt to make this personalized. So the personalization is important to get engagement. It's relevant to me, but it's also important that you get it right. (laughs) So, So looking at the level of personalization is a key in communication. It's where we're spending a lot of time. Send different information to a young family about healthcare than you would to a retiree. It's quite simple. We've got the Granicus Experience Group and and they help agencies kind of create this personalized message approach to drive engagement. The statistics are clear. It's why we experience it in our entire private lives. Personalization is every part of communication. And it's very available at the federal level to all the agencies, too. Um, Hire Vets Medallion Program was where GXG helped a segment of the audience get tailored messages for vets and the message was different based on where they service, their level of uh, operations, children, those kind of things. So that actually resulted, by the way, in 127% more engagement. So there's no doubt personalization works. And every program that you should think of for communication engagement needs to think personalization first.
0: And just touching on that a little bit further, Bob, I know that a big priority for agencies over the past couple of years during the Biden administration has been this idea of advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. So do you see, um, you know, this idea of personalized or individualized uh, approach to customer experience as being something that can help with, for example, accessibility or reaching more underserved communities?
1: For sure. So, I'm going to go back to COVID just to give you a real world example here. So there were communications that were going out for a variety of goals, all of them in the interests of the resident or the member of the public. And what was interesting was uh, communications to different parts of the community had different impact. So if you wanted to reach out to... Uh, a community where English wasn't the language spoken at home, it should have a different format than if it was, or certain income levels, or even certain parts of the country. So back then, we actually developed some statistics and metrics that were comparing the impact of certain styles of approach, not personalization in the raw content, but personalization in the style. And those work super well. So it's not just what you say to the person, it's how you say it, and so developing algorithms, which we do to help with that personalization, is really a huge factor in engagement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, are are there also ways that um, you can reach these people in more than one method? This idea of you know multi-channel yeah. or omni-channel communication—how how important of a role does that play in the way that uh, agencies connect with customers?
1: It, it's a great question, and I think it's I think it's not pursued enough uh, by the customers we speak to. So, there's environments. Here's a circumstance where somebody calls in and they need some help with a prescription. Let's say so they're they're traditional, they're aging, they're used to using the phone, so they give a call, and so, but then it's a multi-step process. It isn't one call and done. So, developing a multi-channel program where that particular case where it's been brought forward, can then be responded to by email. And then the email can be used to then go to the website to get information. And then maybe back on a phone call and the person taking the phone call knows that there was a first phone call, then an email, and it was opened on Tuesday at 6 p.m. And they did click through to the website. It's super helpful. And so there's omnichannel in the sense of, Reaching out to different communities in different ways, but there's even omnichannel within a single multi step process that's super important. Another example is you go into City Hall, let's say, and you use a kiosk. And then you want to do something, you book an appointment, but then you want to continue that process online that evening. So multi-channels important in that one, it's often missed. In terms of reaching back to the community, the question you asked, we found that you know there's some there's some misconceptions. Um, one of them is that digital is is not inclusive, and it in fact is inclusive, especially when you think of the phone factor, and that most people have phones of various income levels, various levels of education, they tend to have phones. And we've seen a very significant swing. And we send hundreds of millions of SMS messages a year, or more accurately, our customers do on using our systems. And we've seen a greater adoption of SMS. And the driving force behind that isn't just responsiveness to people to SMS, it's the fact that it's reaching a much broader community. And we'll send messages in different languages when we know the whole language of support. So there is a difference between those who've got any digital and those who don't, but let's not forget that the phone is the glue between the two. And, and, uh, and so there are people who still need to call in and there what we do is we've got customer service solutions where the person receiving the call just records it digitally. So there's continuity. It's not just a a phone call and a response, but it's recorded. So yeah, Omnichannel is super important. important. It's, It's everywhere and it helps with continuity and diversity and inclusion as well.
0: My guest today is Bob Ainsbury, Chief Product Officer at Granicus. I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman, on the discussion of Deepening Relationships, How Agencies Are Delivering on CX, sponsored by Granicus on Federal News Network. Creating a positive customer experience requires cross-agency collaboration that makes the most of shared capabilities and services, insights from holistic data, and reliable service delivery. For more than 20 years, government of all levels and sizes have trusted Granicus to help simplify, automate, and digitize common tasks to better serve constituents. Discover how Granicus's intuitive tools and years of CX expertise can benefit your agency. Visit Granicus.com to learn more. That's G R A-N-I-C-U-S.com. Welcome back to the discussion on Deepening Relationships, How Agencies Are Delivering on CX, sponsored by Granicus on Federal News Network. My guest today is Bob Ainsbury, the Chief Product Officer at Granicus, and I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman. Now, Bob, before the break, we were talking about this idea of the omnichannel approach or using multiple channels to connect with customers or users uh, in public services, and I was curious from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that agencies might see when they're trying to, when or if they're trying to adopt that kind of approach, and, and how do you overcome that?
1: You bet. So if you think of the various touch points that, that happen with the public, it could be the call center It could be a variety of offices. It could be other forms of communication. It can be large and complex. And so there might be this tendency to take all of these systems and build the omni-channel system. And as we were talking about earlier, that's a tough road to travel down and it is decades long. So what are the pieces of information rather than rebuild the entire ecosystem? What are the pieces of information that would allow an omnichannel experience? And at the edges of those, there's the communications, right? There's the confirmation of information flowing between systems. So I'd recommend that people look first at how to unify the communications, and the communications themselves go back to the core systems. So add an SMS message and record the confirmation that comes back. So I see the way to join these systems together are through communications at step one, and step two start to bridge data and pass them across. The small steps and the Less invasive. So, in fact, behind the scenes, it's different systems, but each system is aware cognitively of the bits that matter that happened in the other systems. So, it's kind of like mortar those two bricks together rather than build a whole new boulder. Strange metaphor, I know.
0: <laughs> no, I, I like the metaphor for sure. So, in, in that world, and, and as agencies are kind of trying to foster these communications uh, with users, with individuals, what do you see as the, the best way for, for agencies to understand the needs and wants of individuals and what their expectations are for government services?
1: Sure. Um, the simple way is talk to them. So it's like I always get involved, with, you know, we, obviously I, I'm responsible for user experience development of our systems and those areas. And it's funny how many people, technologists with the best of intentions, Think they know about the experience they're trying to create. So the the absolute golden rule is talk to the people who are using the systems and get their input. I know it's I know it's almost cliche, but it's super interesting. As we get more advanced and try and be more agile and more sophisticated, we underestimate our understanding of the the experience for them. And you know, you asked the question earlier about inclusion. Well, why don't you ask all of the various cohorts of people in whatever categories, income level, race, location, talk to them. So learning about where they feel friction, I think you'll find it's likely to be different to what you imagined as a technologist or an architect. And so just talk to the people and find out what frustrates them. It's super interesting how easy some things are to fix and how challenging the things you wanted to do were compared to it. So I know it's cliche, but it really is. Go and ask the people.
0: No, I, I like that, and sometimes you know a simple solution or a simple yeah. answer is the one that makes the most sense. Yeah. And and Bob, you know, um, as agencies are collecting this feedback or trying to understand better, you know, where are these pain points? One thing that I've heard in, in several of my conversations with some CX leaders in, in government is then they this idea of having to uh, use that feedback, use that data, and um, make changes to the way that you're delivering services, and also you know, basically tell, uh, I guess, tell individuals or tell the users that you're making those changes based on what they said. How, how important is it to have that kind of communication or feedback loop uh, with customers?
1: It's super important. So what we want to you, the foundation of what you described, I think is data is what we'll use to personalize data is what we'll use to be inclusive. And it's true. And so a data management mindset is important as you come forward with these solutions, what information should we put in the email, what things should we put on the web page, what should we track. And again, we've experienced some of this in our private lives, but the, the data domain is different in the public sector. And so the information that's captured that data would be used to personalize and set expectations. And, and much like we want to know in our social media, what do you know about? me? are you tracking with my phone? And we've seen all that's gone on in the last five years between Apple and Google and others. Should you track me? Shouldn't you want know what information? What's crystal clear from all of that is that the data that's being used to personalize, and the data that's been used to do on the channel must be shared easily with the person whose data that is about. And so a central construct in our solutions is that w- rather than have this um, obtuse, opaque data that is hard to find, just be very clear and you go, oh no, I do have two children, or I don't want you to know whether I have children or not. Making that options to the uh, to the community central, if government treats data insensitively as they have done in the past, trust will collapse and communications will. Uh, abound around the lack of trust. So trust-first data is a, is a central part of personalization. When you find out that that's why you want to know that where I live, because, yes, I live in a flood zone, that's benign. Other things are not benign. So it also helps us as, as government folk hold ourselves accountable. So transparency with the data is central to a successful program.
0: Wow, Bob, I love that you brought up this idea of trust because that's something that I hear a lot about agencies and and the government uh, overall. This, you know, there is a kind of low trust in in public's perception of the federal government and how it runs. Do you yeah. see CX and and these types of interactions as something that, in a way, could could help rebuild trust uh, with the public?
1: Yes. Um... A simple example is, let's say I receive an email from an agency, a federal agency sends me an email, and it makes my head tilt. It's like, how did you know I have a bicycle or whatever it might be? How did you know I was in a flood zone or whatever it might be? So in every email communication, there should be at the bottom, why am I receiving this? And it's a simple click. And you click on that and it says, we understood from this particular situation. It's a very simple example of building trust. Uh, And... Whether this moderate suspicion, no suspicion, or high suspicion, explaining what data was used to do what communications is the biggest trust builder. And so I think, you know, uh, similarly, how was your experience? To digress back to the to the experience itself. We've seen them at the airports, the smiley face. It should be standard behavior to provide information on what data it is and give opportunities for that data to be augmented. Did you enjoy this experience or not? So it's all part of making it more human-centered and more calibrated with them. Yeah.
0: And you read my mind here, Bob. That is where I was going to go next as well. This idea of a human-centered approach to CX. This is something that I know a lot of agencies have been trying to focus on and do more of. So what does that really entail? This idea of a human-centered approach and and how is technology something that can help with that?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So if you think of the evolution of, of experience with systems uh, in human-centered for good reason it is, is an extremely important construct. But if you go back a little bit, it used to be user interface, right? And then it was user experience. But that seemed that just meant that the system was easy enough to use. And human-centered means that it really factors human beings, homo sapiens, and, and what will work for them. But really what's missing from human-centered, and this is back to your technology enabler, is it's more you know, personalized human-centered where we co-join some of the concepts we've talked about because there's the personalization aspect, what's relevant to me, there's a the human centered, what works for me. And so when you say to an agency, and we've got some agencies who have 50 million um, residents and their information in our systems, and i will send out an email to 50 million people and they want it personalized. And if we said to them, you know, ordinarily, why don't you create a unique email for all 50 million people? you get better engagement, they'll trust you more it would take them, you know, 100 years to produce it. The technology that is ena- enabling this personal human-centered approach is artificial intelligence. So, and, and, and We're very active in art- artificial intelligence in the labs. There's a number of concerns about generative AI that we, we could chat about if you want, but generative AI is gonna have a profound impact. So in the labs for us, we've got technologies that understands, based on your prior behaviors, whether you respond to long emails or short, the ones I mentioned, whether you like simple communications and you know high school language, whether you like professorial language and depending upon what topics. Now, we've not taught it to look for those things. We're using AI and ML to say, which ones does Bob engage with more? And it's just, it's figured it out. So if you think of that as understanding by my actions in the past, what uh, areas I've been more responsive to, the next question is, well, how do we produce something that's uniquely suited to me or uniquely suited to you? Again, generative AI can take for that. Let's say they both want us to complete bike surveys and we know that both of us are cyclists. What would encourage you to complete a survey can be figured out by generative AI. So I type in, please write me an email to encourage people to do this survey it will construct them. So generative AI allows now at massive scale at the hundreds of millions personalized communications that stay within boundaries, which we can talk about. So that to me is the great breakthrough, the convergence of technology, personalization, and data to create impactful things. So I hear about the stuff that's germane to me and, and I hear about it in ways that's engaging to me. Artificial intelligence, I guess would be the two words.
0: Uh, Bob, you know, we've covered a lot of different topics here, a lot of really interesting ideas and concepts, but just very briefly wrapping up here, what do you think is coming next for government communications?
1: It is artificial intelligence. Um, Two years ago, um, we did a keynote, 2021, actually, it was April, and I said, I've got it written here, when you give data scientists real challenges and supply them with massive data sets, you can expect something that approaches magic. And some of you may have seen this, have used your own generative AI solutions, chat GPT. The truth is the magic's here and the ability to tap into safe, secure data that is government-fueled, not fueled by Yahoo or wherever, that's the future. And so it's generative AI will drive communications to the next level in ways that are really beneficial to the person you're communicating with. That's it.
0: Bob Ainsbury, Chief Product Officer at Granicus, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Drew. That was a super forum for me to discuss. Really appreciate the questions.
0: I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Granicus. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Deepening Relationships, How Agencies Are Delivering on CX, sponsored by Granicus on Federal News Network.